You're listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast, featuring conversations inspired by a new era of sustainable and inclusive growth. Welcome to the fourth episode of McKinsey's Future of America podcast, where today we're going to explore how we can build a future that drives sustainable and inclusive growth. I'm your host for today, Andre Dua. I'm a senior partner with McKinsey, and I am the managing partner of our office in Miami. Today, I have the privilege to be joined with two of my favorite colleagues, Kelsey Robinson and Tamara Chum. And I wanted to just take a minute to introduce both of them to you. Kelsey's a senior partner in our Bay Area office, where she works with companies to integrate digital into all facets of their business and does a lot of work on marketing strategies as well. Kelsey also happens to be a driving force behind many of the exciting partnerships that McKinsey has with leanin.org and women in the workplace. And she leads our West Coast Gender Initiative. Tamara is a partner in our Boston office, and she's also the co-leader of McKinsey's Agile Insights Group. And what she does is really focus on serving clients across consumer-facing industries using some of these cutting-edge Agile Insights. So Kelsey and Tamara, welcome, and thanks for being here today. Perhaps I could get each of you to tell the listeners a little about your background. Kelsey, maybe we could start with you. Yeah, I've been with the firm for about 11 years, and I spend my days really waking up and thinking about what motivates consumers and how is that changing and how can businesses develop deeper relationships with them. And that's a passion I've had going way back to when I started my career in digital advertising e-commerce probably 15 years ago. Great. Tamara? I also spend my days really reflecting and thinking about what the consumer does, believes, and how that impacts what they will do in the world, what choices they'll make, what brands they'll buy, uh, what organizations they'll support. And I use this to not only understand what's been happening with the consumers, Kelsey and I have gone really deep over the last two years as consumers have faced COVID and what has happened with that. But I also use this work as I'm talking to companies about what they should do to drive growth and innovation. Well, Tamara, that's actually a really, I think, useful jumping off point for this conversation. I know that both of you and your teams have been actively monitoring consumer sentiment and behavior globally since 2020, since the pandemic started. And so in particular, I wanted to talk a little bit about your latest research on the future of U.S. consumers' behavior and buying patterns. And I just want to start, Kelsey, perhaps by asking you, what is on the mind of consumers? So it's been a pretty incredible two years, right? Lots of incredible seismic shifts in terms of how we all individually, I know I, in terms of how I shop, where I put my dollars and how I feel, right? I'd say over the last month or so, we think about what's really on the minds of the US consumer right now. I think one is they're still spending in a strong way, but there is this kind of pivot point right now around inflation and confidence, right? So I think that's pretty different than what we saw, say, in the first two years of COVID, where we did see spend recover and we saw it come back and it was strong and it was strong across consumer segments. And now there is a little bit of a pivot point and we're all kind of taking a breath and wondering what lies ahead this year. I think second, one of the most surprising things is consumers are shopping around. There's been a huge loyalty disruption um, and it continues. So consumers are choosing brands and retailers for different reasons. And they're also very likely to stick with new brands and retailers that they're trying. So for example, when we just spoke to consumers over the last month, 90% said, yeah, I've tried something new, but 90% of the people who had tried something new said, I'm going to stick with this new brand, this new retailer because XYZ. So there was a surprising loyalty disruption amidst COVID that really shook out where they're putting their dollars. Uh, I'd say third, when we think about online and in store, there was this big question when the stores were all shut down in March, 2020, what was going to happen? And I think what we've seen is that pulled forward 
and truly did enable a stickiness of e-commerce that, you know, without COVID probably would not have happened in such dramatic of a way. And so they are still shopping online and they're shopping now as stores reopen in a more omni way. And then lastly, I think particularly relevant for the theme of our podcast and today's conversation is there are different buying factors. So while value is important, there are a lot of other drivers. I think more than ever, values are actually shaping how consumers are deciding to spend that next dollar. That's very interesting. I want to just touch on a couple of those, which are particularly interesting. You mentioned this loyalty disruption. What do you think is driving that disruption? So at the beginning of COVID, it was actually availability. And so Mm. we were surprised by this theme of loyalty disruption at the beginning tomorrow. And I said, oh, maybe it's just because they can't find the product on the shelf. Remember when we were all unable to find paper towels and hand sanitizer, Mm. right? But then what happened is it quickly became not about availability, but the fact that they were shopping in new ways. So in some ways they were shopping online. They weren't going about their normal shopping habits, trips home from work, trips on the weekends. And so they were exposed to different brands and different retailers. And in those moments, they actually found new things they loved, right? And they were served in new and different ways by brands that they hadn't experienced before. And so this disruption of the day-to-day really caused them to just be open to new things. And we also saw that the fickleness, so to speak, in terms of being willing to try new brands and retailers was particularly acute with some of the younger generation. They're just much more open to trying new things. Stuck at home, let's try new things. And we've seen that continue, that behaviors continued through this year. So early in the pandemic, May of 2020, we did some qualitative research. So we talked to consumers and there was a woman in her 40s, her late 40s, who said, for the first time, I am adulting now as a consumer. Now, what what did she mean? Like, she's an adult already. Um, She was saying in the disruption of COVID, when everything stopped, I was able to sit back and think about why I'm buying and who I'm buying from. And that had lots of effects. As you're talking about, Kelsey, it had the effect of saying, well, why why won't I try something online when I'm sitting at home here? Maybe I'll, I'll like it. <laughs> and it turns out many people did like what they tried. But the other thing she was specifically talking about was thinking about the companies she's buying from and how they think about people. Do they put people before profits? Do they mm. um, make things that she needs versus just wants? And if she just wants something, why does she want it? So there was a level of reflection that consumers had that we saw intensify at the beginning of COVID. And we can talk about how it's developed over time, but that's been a big factor as well. That's really interesting. I want to pick up on two pieces of that. The first is actually online. I saw from the research you guys have done that e-commerce has seen somewhere in the order of a 35% uplift since COVID-19 began. And it really sounds like that online shopping appears, this higher level appears to be here to stay. How do you think that changes the consumer landscape? And are you seeing consumers returning to stores as well? Tamara, maybe you could start with that. Sure. Yeah. So we are seeing consumers go back to store. We're seeing store growth, but we're seeing even bigger growth in online that's keeping that 35% growth uh, a reality. And I think what consumers are finding is that they can now shop for what they want, when they want it, exactly how they want it. And as consumers have added digital behavior, they haven't really gone back. Yes, there was a time that everyone bought everything online and that ended after a couple of months. But there are a ton of people who had never tried getting groceries online and are now more regularly mixing into their routine, getting groceries online. And while people are definitely going back to stores, definitely shopping in stores, that digital freedom that they've gained is not something that will will go, go backwards. I also think the points of influence have changed. 
right? So if you talk to the younger consumers, say Gen Z or millennials, almost three quarters of them, 70% say they turn to social as a key influencer. And that's not just mm. I'm watching a YouTube influencer, right? It's things like we've seen take off the last few years, like live shopping, right? I am actually participating in a way live online in a shopping event that's completely different. That's enabled by how the last two years have changed my life. And I'm not just going into the store to ask the associate for their counsel, right? So they've got far a far broader web to be introduced to these new brands and ideas. Right. Tamara, you mentioned this consumer that really stuck out to you, the one who is adulting, as you said. And one of the things you said is that this consumer was really thinking about also the places she's buying from, the company she's buying from, how do they treat their people? So I think this actually is a nice segue to the broader topic of how are consumers thinking about what we might broadly define as these ESG factors. And so I'm sort of interested overall, the extent to which you think ESG related issues have become important in consumers purchasing decisions. So I'd love to hear some thoughts about that. Absolutely. So I think ESG issues were important before COVID, and I think they've intensified since COVID. So what we've seen is, especially among Gen Z and millennials, when we ask people what is important in their purchasing decision, values come up, environmental comes up, social responsibility comes up, DEI comes up. Again, especially among Gen Z and millennials, where in our latest survey, two thirds of them told us that at least one of those issues was very important in driving their decisions. This is true also of Gen X and boomers, older consumers, but just less so true. The other really interesting thing we've seen is that what is important is quite different across generations. So whereas authenticity is really, really important, so companies that put people before profits, companies being transparent, really important for both Gen Z and millennials. Something like no artificial ingredients, being natural, GMO-free, recyclable products, that's actually more important to millennials or to more millennials than it is to Gen Z. And DEI is, is important to both millennials and Gen Z, a little bit less so right now than, say, authenticity or health and environment, but still you know, important and, my guess, will be growing over the coming years. Can I just unpack one of those a little bit, specifically DEI? You say that DEI is an important factor. On the corporate side, I think one of the ways that manifests itself is that large enterprises, Fortune 500 companies are looking to build a more diverse supplier base of um, small and medium businesses from people run by people with diverse backgrounds. But in the context of individual consumers, when you say DEI is an important factor, what does that really mean? What are consumers saying? One of the things is that companies have an inclusive environment. So might that be their supplier base? Sure. But I'm guessing one huge thing it is, is how how employees are treated and people they know of or are talking about what their day-to-day experience is. So in a company, if you're a woman, if you're a person of color, how are you treated day-to-day? And that is important, increasingly important to consumers. And they're increasingly looking out for that. Gender equality also very specifically came up as a very important factor. So again, how can they tell whether there's gender equality? Most of this will be through stories they hear from other consumers who happen to have association with the company. The public stance is super important too. 
So we did ask consumers around, for example, taking a strong stance in a public and a visible way on social issues. And that one was, you know, 40% of consumers says that's something that's important in terms of how I'm thinking about purchase decisions. And to Tamara's point, same thing on gender, right? And that might be what the company says, but it's also increasingly the spokespeople and the individuals who are also associated with the company as well. That matters too, right? Who are the individuals that you're choosing to represent your brand or be associated with your company? Right. So let's maybe just talk a little bit more about sustainability. What is it that you mentioned in particular that younger generations are interested in that? What are they really looking for from companies when it comes to the topic of sustainability? So if we're talking about health and environment, it's things like that they have recyclable products. Natural is a huge signifier. Sometimes consumers don't even particularly differentiate between natural because of this reason or that reason, but just wanting things to be simpler list of ingredients or something that's closer to something they recognize and is very transparent and then less packaging. They'll even talk about fair trade practices. So folks are thinking about how are companies treating the people at the other end of the supply chain. One of the things we've been paying a lot of attention to is how different groups of Americans are bouncing back from the pandemic. So early on, you know, we saw that different groups were more affected than others. Are you seeing differences in purchasing patterns or behaviors among different demographic groups as we come out of COVID? It's interesting. At the beginning of COVID, likely given stimulus, those who had lower incomes were actually increasing their spending at higher rates than those with higher incomes. In the last couple of months, that's switched around. And I think a large piece of this is inflation. So if you think of inflation, especially around gasoline, but also around groceries, the two categories that consumers notice most, the percentage of people's budget that those take up will be disproportionately higher among lower income consumers. And I think as we look at inflation impacting the amount of money people have to spend, we're going to see that there's more pressure on those with lower income bases to start with. Right. So look, we've talked a little bit about, I guess, I would almost say the power of the consumer, because one of the things you said is the way in which consumers are looking for certain things. So maybe let's take that a little bit further and let's focus on the topic of sustainability. How do you think consumers can continue to influence companies' behavior around sustainability to get the change that they want to see? I think a huge piece of what companies will do will be in reaction to what consumers are saying. So as Kelsey said, social media is more and more of an influence for everyone in the way that they buy, more so for Gen Z millennials, but really across the board. As folks know what they care about and can articulate what they care about and why they're making decisions, as they include more around sustainability on inclusivity for companies, I do think companies will continue to hear those voices. Right. And maybe, Kelsey, maybe I could ask you, since you actually do a lot of work in this area, too, on the inclusion topic, what are the ways in which you see consumers trying to influence companies to be more inclusive? And do you think consumers have real power here? Absolutely. They have real power and their their power is effectively where they choose to spend that next dollar, right? And and so I think given everything we were just talking about, of consumers are telling us that all of these topics are important, especially inclusion, right? If they support a brand, a company who's prioritizing that in terms of it could be as simple as they've added and broadened their assortment to just recognize that the customers are trying to serve, you know, are not monolithic, right? But in fact, represent all kinds of different genders, all kinds of race, right? I think that's where the consumer has incredible power. And I think you're starting to see that if you look at different facets of retail and consumer 
products, you're seeing the entry of more product categories. And yes, you mentioned it's the ownership of suppliers or brands, right? So for example, Black-led businesses, right? That's one example, but it could also be the actual product. Am I serving, for example, the Black consumer, right? And do I have an assortment of beauty products for her, right? Am I truly trying to serve her when she walks in the door when she comes to my website? I thought that our colleague, Shelly Stewart, had an awesome podcast on this, right? And he actually went as far to say, you know, if you if you actually quantify by 2030, the Black consumer, as an example, will be $1.7 billion of consumption in the country. So what does it mean to, to serve that group and to not serve them as a segment of one, but to really understand what's motivating their purchases? Great. Well, why don't we take a quick break before we dive into the next segment? We're back from our break. I'd now like to talk about one of the issues, which it seems like everybody is talking about these days, which is inflation. And I think as you think about consumers and their behavior, it's very hard to talk about consumers without mentioning inflation. So my question for you, Tamara, is how is inflation interacting with the trends we've already discussed? Great question, Andre. One of the things we're all looking forward to see is what will happen with inflation. We've seen the last 10 months unprecedented inflation and with inflation reaching 8%, folks are really focused on it, not only economists, but consumers. And we're seeing consumers notice the inflation. 90% of consumers say that they notice inflation in groceries and gas the most, but they notice it across categories. When we think about what's going to happen and what we think, what we see has happened already, one major thing that's happening is consumers are focusing on value. So what are the prices that they're paying? And they're switching when they feel like they can get better value. So they're switching brands um, to lower cost brands and especially to private label. They're also switching retailers to channels where they feel like they're going to get a better deal. And what we've seen in this switching is attitudinally, they're saying that they're switching for value more often and switching for values, purpose, sustainability, et cetera, less often. Um, so I do think what we'll see going forward is consumers being very careful with that extra dollar. You know, where are they going to spend it? If they're going to spend more on an item, what is really worth spending more on and why? Um, and then really cutting back where they can to make sure they're left in a, in some ways, the good financial position that many consumers are in right now with very strong balance sheet. Well, that's really interesting. And let me maybe ask a follow-up question. Does that make you feel that values are a luxury good? I think that's a great question. I think for some categories, it actually is used to enhance luxury goods. So if you think about chocolate and you think about high-end chocolate, I go to a Whole Foods, I go to any other store and look at high-end chocolate, they will talk about their values in an extreme amount. And I think that there's something about consumer behavior when we are all indulging, we want to feel okay about that indulgence. And in some ways, indulging in something that has great values allows us to feel good even while we're doing something that we feel is a little bit extra. I think coming forward in the next year with the inflationary environment, companies who are able to both offer something with value, so a better price, a better packaging, something that offers value, while at the same time showing that inclusivity or authenticity or other values consumers care about will do very well as consumers 
probably will be going less for luxury, the luxury goods, big luxury, small luxury, and more for things that feel responsible in a responsible purchase in this tougher economic time. And I think the question is, could you get these things to work together? So Tamara kind of touched on that, right? You know, you could hit both value for the consumer and, and pass part of it along and values by thinking about packaging, right? By taking a look at, can I reduce something, right? From creation through how I put this on someone's doorstep and actually potentially hit both, right? And so I think there's a really interesting problem statement for business leaders now to say, hmm, is there a win-win here? But I do think, Andre, to your question... It would also be a shame to think of values as a luxury in some ways, because I think it is still, there is still a requirement and an expectation from consumers. So while value is king, if you only pursue that and you're not addressing some of the value statements, especially that younger consumer is going to expect, right? We've seen how that can have backlash and how that can actually walk customers out of the door as well, right? So it's this delicate balance that business leaders have today to strike. Well, I, I want to come back to, tomorrow something you said before, which is we're seeing a pretty significant level of inflation, which we haven't maybe seen for about 40 years. And it would be fair to say that many of today's leaders actually have never had to deal with inflation before. What are you seeing from companies and their leaders as a response to this inflation and how are they dealing with it? One of the things that I think companies really have to think about is understanding price point and understanding the way that they're presenting value to the consumer at a whole new level of depth. So what we're seeing from companies um, who are, um, I would say, at the forefront here is they're using deep analytics to understand which are the categories, which are the products that consumers really, really are going to look at and, and index to. And how do you make sure not only that prices are ones that are going to work for the consumers, but in our state of a lot of supply shocks, which will also continue to happen? How do you make sure that those products are in stock? Um, so that's one thing we're seeing companies doing is really relying on analytics to understand things at a very micro level. A second thing is thinking about for the consumer who is going to want to trade down. They might want to trade to private label, but how can you offer them products if you're a branded company that will meet their need for value without having them go off to private label? Or if you're a retailer, how do you make sure you have the right assortment of, again, next stage value products as well as the right private label. Two ads, I think Tamara hit on this idea of how do you communicate value and how do you actually use this as a moment to strengthen relationships with consumers, right? So I think what's interesting is you think back to the beginning of COVID and there was, I think we all had a joke of if I get one more email about how a company's going to tell me how they, in these trying times, <laughs> dot, 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 here's how we're trying to help you. But, you know, they did act and they did get rewarded for that a little bit. I think right now, if you think about an equivalent pressure consumers are feeling on their wallet with inflation, it is a moment to be really explicit and to actually talk to your consumers about how am I, how are we trying to, to give you something of value? How are we trying to deliver value to you? Knowing that your household's feeling that we understand you as a consumer. So I think it's a huge opportunity. As you think about inflation and now a number of people believe that is not just something that passes in a few months. How do you think this might fundamentally change the consumer landscape? Do you have any insight or thoughts about that? We've started to look at what has happened in January and February, um, or even really the last 10 months as consumers have faced inflation on many goods. There are some categories where consumers are actually cutting consumption, but those are actually 
fewer. And there are categories where they were COVID pressured anyway. Um, so something like travel or out of home. What we've seen is that consumers are actually still continuing to spend. Some of that spend is just the extra inflation that added on, but there's still extra volume being spent on many of the categories that we all care about and have been purchasing more during COVID. So I think as we look out to the next year or two, what will be important, not to get too technical, but is seeing how consumers' cash positions will hold. Right now, consumers are in an incredibly advantaged cash position versus mm. pre-COVID. And that's partly stimulus, but that's also because we've been spending less on services and spending less on travel. Labor has also, wages have also had inflation. So if consumers have wage inflation more than goods inflation, we might you know, see less consumption than we did before, but it might be a very similar picture playing out. If conversely, we see more inflation and it outpaces labor inflation, I think you will see consumers start to tighten wallets and, you know, you could potentially see a recessionary environment. Right. You know, one of the things we've been seeing in the American Opportunity Survey, which is a big survey McKinsey conducts to understand the sentiment of Americans, we found that almost half of Americans report being on the financial brink. Do you think that companies really understand this? And how do you think they're responding to this? I think this is a tough message for companies to really internalize as they've seen so much spending in the last two years. Again, fueled by many things that might might not continue in the same way going forward. So I do think companies really understanding how important the value message will be as consumer sentiment starts to go down. And as you say, Andre, as people are feeling the squeeze of the change in circumstances, you know, very acutely right now. I also think there are two watchouts. I think one is there's always this question of as inflation continues and everything tomorrow was describing, we'll see what happens with wage infl- wage rates as well. Is there likely to be an you know inequitable impact if we think about different segments of the population? And so I think that's a big topic to keep our eyes on and for companies to really understand who am I serving and how are they uniquely experiencing this inflationary environment? And it's not a one size fits all experience, right? And so really understanding who I'm serving and what their day to day feels like. And then again, I, I do think it is that moment to deliver value and to say it's it's this strange paradox we're coming out of this, you know, very isolated time. And we're starting to see the promise of being able to enjoy time together in some form. I think people, we see that in our research, people are doing more things out of home, but then we're also feeling a tightening the belt at the same time. So what is the role of a company to say, hey, Andre, in this moment where you're so excited to go maybe spend time with people in a way you haven't in two years, but you're actually now wondering, can I spend the money on the travel, on the, the shirt, on the sneakers that I would normally do when I'm excited about that? So how do I strike that balance and actually let you feel like you're able to live in the moment you've been waiting for by delivering you a product of value and communicating it that way. Very helpful. Listen, we're going to take a quick break before our rapid fire Q&A. We're back from our break and I'm talking with Tamara Charm and Kelsey Robinson. Kelsey and Tamara, I really, really appreciate you sharing your insights with us today. I was just thinking about our conversation and three things really struck me as very, very interesting. The first is the extent to which there have been some real fundamental and enduring changes in consumer behavior since the beginning of COVID. And there's been a real acceleration in a number of different trends, including the real shift towards e-commerce and omni shopping. The second thing I really took away was the power of consumers in driving change and in driving company behavior. The way in which consumers are, in many cases, prioritizing 
values, things like sustainability, the way companies treat their employees and so forth. And that is a powerful new trend being driven, I think, in large part by younger generations, the millennials and Gen Z. And the third thing I really took away is that we're at a very interesting moment with this surge in inflation, which seems to be persisting. And whilst consumers are interested in values, at this moment, they're really interested in value. And so I think that gave us really something to think about. So I wanted to thank you for that. Now, we always wrap up our Future of America episodes with a rapid fire Q&A. So Kelsey, I wanted to um, have you go up first and ask you three questions. The first is, is there a book or article that you've recently read that excites you about a more sustainable and inclusive future? Over the last few weeks, there's been actually a few articles about I work a lot in retail about circularity, right? And so how to think about closing the loop when it comes to materials and the consumer demand behind that kind of trend. So there's been some articles in Business of Fashion. Some of our colleagues wrote one on the circularity concept of the state of California. And it was super exciting because it actually quantified both the waste potential, but the fact that the vast majority of consumers want to actually see a brand sponsor, you know, a true circular product. And so to me, that was a little more visionary and it seems like it's happening sooner than I anticipated it would. Interesting. So what makes you optimistic that we can achieve a more sustainable and inclusive growth in this country? What makes me optimistic is that we're shifting from a conversation of why it's the right thing to do to why consumers are demanding it and why it really matters on a broader dialogue. Some of the, the example data we talked through today, being able to say, that 70% of the younger generations actually really care about environmental, social, and governance topics. To me, that is a a, a really big shift where I don't think we were having that same conversation a year or two ago. Right. And maybe just to end, what's the one thing listeners can do today to help promote sustainable and inclusive growth? I'd say use your purchase power. That's very clear. Thank you. Tamara, let let me go over to you and ask you the same three questions. Is there a book or article that you've recently read that excites you about a more sustainable and inclusive future? I'm going to give a slightly unconventional answer. My tween daughter and her class created restaurants as part of a class assignment, and all of them were sustainable. All of them. They talked about how much of the planet's resources they were taking up. How do we get consumers to change their behavior? Part of it is what their restaurants are going to offer. And just seeing that energy and seeing the specificity and the passion with which they were demanding change um, was really inspiring. So I guess you've answered my second question, which is what makes you optimistic that we can achieve sustainable and inclusive growth? Indeed. I do think the power in many, many, again, this is very deep in Gen Z that I was looking, the power in the passion of consumers, as Kelsey's saying, demanding to change versus just it might be a nice to have, I think makes me optimistic. Right. So is there anything that you would suggest our listeners do to help promote sustainable and inclusive growth? In addition to using the power of the purse, agreed with Kelsey, I really do think talking about it makes a huge difference. So talking about it both in closer circles where you can get deeper, but also talking publicly about what you care about as a consumer is shaping not only your immediate um, circles, thoughts on it, but it, it social is having an amplifying effect, not only for other consumers, but also in a way that companies can hear. Well, thank you both. That was Kelsey Robinson, a senior partner in our Bay Area office, and Tamara Charm, a partner in our Boston office. I'm Andre Dua. You've been listening to McKinsey's Future of America podcast series. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Future of America podcast. 
We're thrilled you're joining us as we explore the journey toward a more sustainable and inclusive and growing economy. Be sure to subscribe to the Future of America podcast on whichever platform you use and check out our insights and research on these topics at mckinsey.com slash future of America. Thanks for being a part of the Future of America.